this, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I am joined by Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good, Gabby. I'm uh, experiencing the wonderful life of springtime in Dublin, Ohio, where uh, yesterday it was cold and rainy, and then it turned off beautiful, and today it's beautiful but cold. So I guess I'm getting the full Ohio experience. So all, <laughs> all good. Uh Really fun week. We we did our safety summit for the service logic companies up here this week. Had about 50, 55 people. So really good week. Hung out with some good people. Uh, learned a lot. And uh, hopefully we share that knowledge across the platform. So good stuff. Good stuff. Awesome. I love to hear it. Well, today we have an awesome guest. I am really excited to introduce. Um, I love being on here with Greg and meeting a bunch of new people. Um, So I am looking forward to today's guest, who is Tony Grayson, and he is GM at Compass Quantum. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I wish I'd have the awesome Ohio weather. In Denver, it's sunny and 50 or, or 70, and we're supposed to get two inches of snow tonight, so I don't get it. I'm just happy as a Seahawks fan. I'm glad they took Russell Wilson. There you go. Exactly. So that's my running joke when I get an Uber is who are you going to pick in the first round? Oh, that's right. We got your first round and your second round, and your quarterback drove into a sand dune. I mean, I mean, he couldn't see the sand dune just like he can't see receivers. So I think that's the, it's great. I love being here to poke at him. <laughs> well, it obviously we're off to a good Good start. We know where to go with the uh, the football football vernacular. Should we need to go there? So, well, well, Tony, thank uh, thank you for taking time this morning. You know, we were talking before we hit record that uh, you and I have never had the chance to meet each other in real life yet. I I like to throw the yet in there, but I love watching what you do online. I love watching what you do in particular in in several areas. One is what you're doing with, with quantum uh, via uh, uh, the data center uh, world. Uh, the other is you're, you're embracing your past and your passion uh, regarding the military. And um, then the cool videos you put up. You know, you're like a, a, a closet videographer releaser. Uh, I love, your, uh, love the stuff you're doing. But before we jump into all that, give us a little bit of background of, of you uh, how you came to be into the data center world. Uh, you're the only guest we've had on here that has ever driven a multi-billion dollar vehicle. Uh, so excited to hear about all that good stuff. Yeah, no, thanks for the intro, Greg. And uh, so a very different path to tech, 21 years in the Navy, uh, in submarines. You know, my lifelong goal was to command my own submarine, um, which I did. And, you know, of those four years, I was probably out to sea 80% of the time. So, you know, I could have stayed on and gone to be a Commodore and all that other stuff, but it was, you know, you, you aren't, you weren't in command at sea again. So maybe you're, you're in command, but you aren't. So I just thought it was time to, time to get out, spend more time with my family. And, you know, at that time, Facebook was really hiring a lot of nukes like myself to go into their operations side. So, Originally, that's what I was hired for to go run Facebook out of Dublin because we've been trying to go overseas forever. 
uh, and in the Navy. And uh, so that's what I was supposed to do. But then I, you know, I have, you know, kind of an applied physics background and, you know, a submarine actually has 15 megawatts of IT load. So they thought I'd be better serve kind of more on the networky type stuff at Facebook. So went into that, but then I kind of learned that, you know, I kind of understood how the cloud works and all the different layers work because like I said, 15 megawatts of IT load on a submarine, we actually have our own little cloud. And so, you know, we just, we didn't call it substrate. We didn't call it overlay. We called it different kind of things, but the fundamentals were the same. So I kind of been using that throughout my career, but, you know, love Facebook, but, you know, Barrio, super expensive at that time. This is 2016, 17, you know, 20 year olds are getting millions of dollars coming out of the Navy. I got like a, like a, you know, a dollar bill and a pat on the back saying, Hey, thanks for your service. Um, so I couldn't eat with that. So we moved back up to Seattle and I was flying the nerd bird down for about six months. And the nerd bird is it's an Alaska flight. It leaves like Monday. I there's plenty of them that leave Monday morning, come back Friday or Thursday evening and you sit in the same seat every time through same friends. It's two and a half hour flight. And you just, you know, you commute on a plane. So, uh, but that's kind of where I left the Navy. So I ever since then I went to AWS, it was kind of, uh, more, you know, kind of structural internal design of, of the hyperscale data centers. You know, had a chance to go over to Oracle, started off with their production network and got their data centers and their data center strategy. And I took on, you know, the kind of the corporate network. But about two years ago, I kind of had this it to build my own product. I've never built anything before and try to run my own company. And so uh, loved what I was doing at Oracle. Uh, you know, I took it from whatever five or six regions to 39. So we always actually have a lot of impact there, but I still wasn't building my own product. So, you know, Chris Crosby was one of my mentors, but you know, and still is, uh, you basically said, you know, I have this business that I bought in 2018, you want to run it. And so it's great. It's like a incubated startup where, you know, I just said, I just asked dad Crosby for some money. It's like, you know, dad, can I have 10 million bucks? Sure, son, what are you going to do with this? I don't have to do any of the series running. So it's an incubated startup where, you know, I can use all the executive team at Compass to help me out, but still build my own product. Um, and I couldn't be happier. You know, it, it's been 18 months since I got here. You know, we just released our generation four product and I'm super excited to actually get the next date, which is actually building, you know, selling and building stuff. So I think that's, I think it's covered it all right there, but, uh, yeah, we're happy to be here and Dad, talk anything you want. Well, I really uh I appreciate that background. The the you're the second person we've had on that have has talked about riding the nerd bird. I can't remember who the first one was, Gabby, but it wasn't a couple of three weeks ago we were talking to somebody that was a nerd bird frequent flyer. As well. It's just amazing. You actually take your same seat for whatever reason every single time. You sit next to the same people, you pretty much have the same conversations. It's it's like I don't know why people just are, you know, it's, they get in that routine and that's what you do. Oh, that's we're we're definitely creatures of habit for sure. Um, you mentioned a couple of things that really sparked my interest. I, I, I love the fact that you were able to, to scratch your itch entrepreneurially in a safe environment, you know, with, with kind of under the compass umbrella. Um, I'll follow Chris, uh, you know, a, a uh, I have followed him for years online, and and he's done some really amazing stuff. Um, I didn't know the detail of, of you know what you were doing over there, but that's really cool that that he was and is still a mentor. 
And as we like to talk about, you know, on the on this uh, on the podcast, our our whole lives kind of ebb and blow around the people that are influencing uh, in either a good way or a bad way. And then we kind of make our choices based on those influences. Um, so, I, you know, going through the, the military, I under, I, I'm not a veteran, although uh, I have huge respect for you guys that and ladies that have served for us. I, I understand the basic, you know, structure but I don't know, once in the Navy, once you get to a status of being the commander of a submarine, you know, how all that dynamic changes. And, you know, how do you find your mentors when you get to uh, that elevated position? Uh, because, you know, they say it's lonely at the top. It's like running your own company, as I have. Um, you know, you, you don't have a lot of peers that you can lean on that understand exactly what you're going through. Uh, it would not ring true, uh, as a, as a lander. And then I think, you know, in port, you definitely have your peers to lean on. You know, you can always, you all suffer the similar problems. You all have, you know, the similar things that you have to deal with every day. So it's good to talk to those peers and, and bounce them off them. So, you know, in a, in a typical squatter and, you know, six, seven submarines, you'll have six, seven other, you know, kind of other commanding officers you could talk to. And then, you know, the military is very a tight knit team. So once you serve together, you're always serving together. And so, you know, you could always reach back to the past of your previous commanding officers or exos or wherever who have gone on and, and pull from their experience. But, you know, the submarine is unique in the fact that, you know, on a surface ship on an airplane, when you go out to see your bosses there, and they can, you could easily go, hey, what do you think? On a submarine, you don't have that luxury. You can't communicate. So when you submerge, that's it. You're 38 years old with 100, you know, anywhere between 100, 50, 200 other people that you're responsible for. And if you get, if you mess up, you're on the front page of CNN. Um, so it's, it's, I loved it because it's the last kind of vestige of alone and unafraid out there where you're by yourself, Cabani, but it is definitely, you definitely feel, in that role, you're flowing at the top. You're having to make decisions, and you you can't ask for help because you can't communicate at all. So, um, so it was it was good and it was it was interesting. Let's just say, and I definitely have some white hair because of some of those some of those missions that I've been on. Well, I find that whole uh, the the stealth part of submarine life really interesting, and I've known some submariners. Uh, you all claim to be a unique kind of a quirky group of people and uh it, one one of the guys who comes to mind is, is steve ham he i worked with steve a lot over the years uh he was our customer but he's a big dude i'm like man how did you get in a submarine he said that's why walks you know kind of hunched over all the time so, yeah and you probably uh, could tell the bigger people they definitely have scars where they weren't paying attention and they smacked themselves and i definitely Probably count on both hands and my feet, having Bill knocked themselves out a couple of times just by running and not really paying attention uh, their surroundings. So it's, but people do do it. You know, we'll have, you know, six plus feet people in there that that's just, I mean, it's not even ducking, it's it's trying to fit in a rack. That's the, the worst part of, you know, you get this like little coffin that you sleep in. And sometimes you have to share that coffin with someone else. And, you know, the big people have issues getting in there. Yeah. 
I'm sure. Well, again, I appreciate those who are willing to do that. It means a lot to me personally, I know. Um, I've always thought about the ultimate coach to me, and thinking about a pro sports analogy, you brought up football earlier. Um, Pro sports is interesting to me, or sports in general is interesting in a coaching way because – you know, you once you submerge, you don't have a coach. You you're out there with what you've got up in your noggin and what you've been able to to stow away in your books. Um, basketball to me is probably ba- basketball and hockey are probably the best coaching available sports because you think about the basketball players running up and down the court, the coach is right there. He's able to give direct feedback uh, as opposed to football where you know you run a play you execute it see how it works and then you kind of regroup but i can't uh you know obviously i can't fathom it because i haven't been exposed to it but like okay tony here's your mission there is no mission until we call you so you just get out there float around and we'll let you know when you need to go do something um and good luck yeah that just seems really vague uh from the outside no, when you actually do under, I mean, you know exactly what you're doing. I mean, you do go out for training exercises. You do go out for inspections. You do go out to practice where it's, you know, it's on you. I mean, that's, those days are awesome. And you can set your own schedule to train your team. Um, but they're few and far between. Most of the time, you're, when you leave, you're going out with a purpose. So you know exactly when your mission starts. And you you will get recast just based on current intelligence and that kind of stuff. But more than often than not, you definitely those where you can just float around those days are you don't really have that many of those days so it's you're definitely keeping your days full so that that's interesting so you you mentioned you've got somewhere between 150 200 people uh, under your command on the boat how many of those people know what you're doing out there i mean you, you try to keep them involved in it i mean there's definitely some missions and some submarines where they just know they're they, they have a coordinate system and no one except the CO, the XO, and the navigator are allowed to know exactly where they're at. Uh, and so most missions, you let people know what you're doing so they can feel like they're part of the mission. So you don't, if you can get around it, you don't want to withhold information. You want to make sure that that youngest person knows and in, buys in the mission and you can't do that with all that secrecy stuff. So, you know, that you try to let them know as much as you possibly can, especially when you have to be quiet. You know, it's if you're going in a place you're not supposed to be or, you know, trailing another submarine and, you know, they can hear you just as much as you can hear them. You're, you have to let them know because you have, they have to make sure they're not dropping tools or doing anything dumb that will let them know that you're there. That is so cool with me. You know, my, my only my only glimpse about life is Hunt for Red October, which is one of my favorite movies. And I know that's all crap, but it, yeah, that's as close as I get it. There's nothing more satisfying that you are tracking and someone else's submarine and they think they're the pinnacle and you're just you're just having your way with them because you're just tracking them for days and days and what did they think you're all stealthy and they're going to try to sneak up on do stuff and you're just sending off reports you know to higher headquarters and exactly where they're at and what they're doing um it's just it makes you laugh um and you know hunt for red october was but then you don't have a computer which sits there and says this is x y or z but you know you can tell 
yeah, class, different hulls, because you know, there's always something, whether it's a motor wound a little bit differently. So you're tracking a, you know, 203.4 vert signal as opposed to a standard 202 verts on something. And so every submarine has a unique identifier for it. But, you know, the also cool thing about submarines is, you know, you don't have me, you're all, you know, if someone makes a mistake, you're all going to go down and you don't have this, I mean, you have hierarchy, but you don't have this like big thing between officers and enlisted. Like it's, you're all working together. And so like, that's one, another thing I loved about it. We didn't have like this massive hierarchy where, you know, I would easily pull my cob in and say, what do you think? It's just, you don't have this, you know, I'm an officer and I'm going to stand on my, my weather deck and, and get away enlisted. No, it's, you're working together side by side and you're, when you pull into port, you're coming out together. It's, it's kind of a great big family. And that's, to be honest, that's the one thing I miss the most out of coming out of military is really that team centered mentality where, you know, to be honest, you might throw punches at each other, but in the end, you're always hugging. Uh, that's literally throw punches at each other. You might, but you're, you're hugging in the end. And I you just don't find that in the civilian world where one is, seems to be kind of going in their own direction. He, he brought up something, uh, it, as far as including your team in the mission. And, you know, that is so true, whether you're military or not, uh, you know, and, I've been really fortunate in my life to be part of some really, really good teams. And I'm part of one right now. Uh, and teams, you know, they, they come together kind of organically and sometimes they're not even planned, but they gel really well. And then next thing you know, they start drifting and then you move on. It's like, it's like, you know, I don't know, like a jellyfish, man. It just moves and then they reform and, you know, to be part of that is special. Um, but you brought up something, uh, you know, as far as including the team. And I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about and talking to younger people who are coming into the workforce and, you know, learning how to communicate with uh, Generation Alpha, which is the new, uh, Generation Z, which is, you know, Gabby's age group. And, you know, really thinking through what matters to these age groups. And it's the same folks you're probably dealing with to a degree that are, you know, some of your operational folks. It, it's, it's fun to me to learn how to get the same message that's in my head out to them in a, in a, in a way in which they understand it and want to participate. You know, I can say something to Gabby, but... That doesn't mean she wants to join along and, and let's go do it together. So how how does that relate in your world? And what did you learn in the military that you can, you know, kind of carry over or are you relearning? No, it's, I would say, you know, there's a, a myth in that in the military that everything that you learn in the military carries over. And I think it's the exact opposite. I think that's why you find a lot of military fail in the civilian worlds because they try to bring all those back. You know, you might sit there and think you have a diverse group. You don't. Everyone, they might have different backgrounds, but boot camps makes everyone think the same. And in the end, you can just say, Greg, do it because I told you to do it. And you still see some vestiges of that in the tech sector where you have companies that say disagree and commit, which is you can disagree, but I'm going to tell you, you know, do what I tell you to do anyway. 
Um, I don't think you could do that with the newer generations. I think you have to get buy-in and you have to bring them along and be honest, it, you're better off doing that kind of stuff. You know, what I don't, you know, what I've kind of realized outside of militaries is I don't want a bunch of people looking at me and I want people to disagree with me. You might, at that second, you might be, you know, I'm the per blah, blah, blah. You don't want you to disagree with me, but you should value that kind of input because we all have different experiences. We all think differently. And you're going to be a better team, a better company from those diverse opinions. Now you might end up choosing something that is different, but if you do, you better make sure they understand the why aspect. And so, you know, there's a, a term in the Navy, especially on submarines, which is this mind your panel, which is, hey, I get it. Stop talking to me, mind your panel. So this is the, you know, you watch the reactor plants and that person is looking behind you, making all his recommendations. See, you've had enough. You just like, just, just look forward, mind your panel, don't say anything. Um, you can't really do that and outside. So I think it's, you have to, you might make decisions that people don't get, but you have to make sure they understand why so they can grow, so they can understand how you think, but you can't just cut people off because then you're, you're getting all these diverse opinions. And to be honest, you know, that's the one thing I've really kind of, I've embraced the compass is just, I've never been in a company where culture is so part of the everyday, you know, everything past it's, it, you know, culture is part of it every day, but in the end it's not, it's, you know, they live and breathe their culture aspect. And I really, if everyone understands the culture, then you never, when you have to have goals, but you don't really have to have goals because everyone understands the direction you're going. Um, and it's a much you know, it's, it's harder to get going and to bring people on, but once they get on, it's much easier to maintain. So, you know, I, I really think it's, it's beneficial and then you don't have this problem of, of different generations because you are, they're teaching you just as much as you're teaching them. Um, you know, when I, it, you're, you could sit there and say, well, you know, the newer generations have this philosophy where the company is there for them and not they're there for the company. But I think that's just two totally different ways of thinking and if maybe the company should be there for them to give them the experience and training that they need to be successful maybe we do take it too much that we're you know they're there to serve the company maybe it should be the other way around maybe they have the right answer so kind of a long way to, to say it but you know it's that i think it's incredibly important that you have that kind of stuff and you have that kind of feedback you know it's i really wished in the navy they gave you more of that stuff, but people are afraid to stand up and tell you you're wrong. I mean, that's go look at all the incidents that you see where submarines or ships have hit other things. A lot of people know what the right answer is, but they're afraid to tell the boss that he's wrong because they're assuming the boss knows what they're doing and you should encourage that kind of disagreement. So that's, it's, it's critical. So kind of, hopefully that answered the question, Greg, I was kind of ran, rambling there. But, I, you know, I, I do think military do struggle on the outside. It really is because of that. That was a, a, a good in-depth answer, and I, I agree. I, I think that your leadership skills show through when you do take multiple inputs and then collectively come up with a good answer. Now, sure, as the boss, you're going to have to make a choice. But if there's, you know, a variable and two choices both make sense. Why would you not listen to people? You know, it's like, don't, don't be such a, a, you know, wanker and, and just listen to people because people, you know, Gabby's 20, 
three years old, but she's smart. Why would I not listen to her input? You know, tough to do though. And in fact, we no one like. I mean, we all, you know, I've really tried post Navy to really let go of my ego, but we tend to make a lot of decisions based on our ego, and you know, we always feel like we have to be on the right. You know, you have this. You know, I saw this in the Navy sometimes where people make stupid, stupid decisions, but they have, you know, that everyone wants to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm doing a great job. I'm awesome. It's very hard for someone to look in the mirror and say, I made a mistake. So, you know, it's, it's very, it's very easy to lie to ourselves in both the military and the civilian sector of we're making all the right decisions. We know what to do. And it's very tough for us to let go of that sense of ego because it let goes of our sense of self and it makes us vulnerable. I think you can't be truly successful until you understand that. Um, you know, and I just, you know, I had a good friend at um at Facebook, you know, and he was, you know, a great guy, one of the best CEOs they had in the Navy, and he ran into a uh cruise um just because, you know, he was Playing a little bit loose, you know, he expected his team to back him up, but his team actually thought that he knew what he was doing. But you know that that kind, you don't want an environment where everyone's just listening to you. That's why I do tend to laugh at any kind of leadership book that comes out of the military and that never really served in the civilian force because it, it is not transferable. Um, I, I think it maybe it's kind of a strong way to say it. it's probably. 30% transferable, but a lot of that is not because it's just people think differently. But, you know, one thing I really tried to do in the Navy was really, you know, try to work with my peers and get different opinions to come up with the right answer. And that's kind of, you know, the biggest, biggest thing that came out of Navy for me in Australia, which I will never, you know, and I think it's probably the most proud of thing that I will be is just this, you know, kind of the Stockdale Award that I got in the Navy, which is, you know, it's recommended by your peers that recommend you for that leadership award. And, you know, I never asked for it, but I would, you know, my peers recognized it. And, you know, that's something that I'll take to my grave as probably my, my highest looks about, you know, getting married and kids and everything. But, you know, to me, that is the pinnacle of, of you know, it's all downhill from there for me, just because it, the recognition for your peers that, you know, you've done a really good job as a CEO of Severin and they all, you know, it's the only gift to a year and that's across all the CEOs whether you're a surface, submarine, aviation, ashore, whatever, it's just only give, you know, one in each fleet. So yeah, that was kind of the, the epiphany that, you know, I was kind of at least on the right path at that point in time. I think you're right that peer, peer recommendation or peer recognition is good because that's just proof of the pudding to me. If you're, if you're working alongside people and they appreciate what you're doing and, and you're all pulling the same direction and, and they or, or they value your your leadership or your or your you know whatever you're delivering enough to recommend you that that's that that is the ultimate as you said uh, so I want to jump into a couple of things you're involved with um, we share friends at, at salute.com and tell us a little bit about salute and what you're doing there and why that's important for you you know, Salute is kind of one of those groups that are out there and there's Overwatch, there's a couple of them that really try to bring veterans, National Guard, reservists, and spouses into the industry. And, you know, they use it as a feeder system. So they're okay with, you know, someone coming in and leaving out here and going doing better things. And so, 
you know, I took over the IMASIN's veterans chair this year and really I'm trying to people to really leave their companies at the door and we should stop looking at these quotas, hiring veterans and actually trying to reach out and bring veterans in and being totally agnostic of where they go. So for example, if I'm sitting here at Compass Quantum, I, you know, I would love for people to go to AWS or Microsoft Vantage, you know, any, any people who might be, it's just, I don't care as long as I'm getting, you know, spouses, uh, that are actively transitioning all those people in, then I've done what I wanted to do, which is help the transition. I've been super, super fortunate in my transition, but I, I also recognize, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people right on veterans and the fear that they have. And then they, they, you know, I don't know if you know this, but most active duty, especially the junior enlisted, they're on food stamps. If you have, I mean, the, the Navy's answer for that is, well, the, then don't get married and have kids and you won't be on food stamps. I and mean, it's such, you know, go even look at what the army said late last year of food stamps are a valued way of, of contributing to your own kind of, it's just that kind of mindset is just mind boggling to me. You know, here are people risking their lives and you're, they're on food stamps because they don't get paid. So we should be bending over backwards to make those people get the best jobs possible, but you still see people praying off them in longer fear. Like, you know, they, they're used to getting orders six or seven months out and you, you typically don't hire until 90 days out. And that puts a lot of stress, but you have recruiters who are more interested in throughput and getting a dollar at the end of it than actually line them up for a good job that gets successful. So I'm trying to, you know, buy, and I would say all recruiters are bad or headhunters are bad. I'm just trying to make sure all these people get a fair shake and, and they're doing what they want. They're not pigeonholed. Like everyone, it's so easy to say we're good at ops, but we're also good at program management. We're good at engineering. We're good at, you know, even computer science just because maybe that's their hobby. It's just, you know, I've been work, talking to a CEO recently. He was a, a senior enlisted in a SEAL team and he loves computer science and put himself through, you know, he did his degrees in computer science. You know, that's what he wants to do. But they look at his his resume and think he's he's a door kicker, which I think he is. But he also has a vast more amount of experience and that they could bring to the table than your traditional. And you know, I think it's we need to stop treating them like a, just a number and a percentage that makes us feel better about ourselves, and stop using bets as a crux of you know feel like we're doing good. We actually put them in the jobs that they deserve, that they can grow into, and and make them successful because it is you do not want a bet to do anything for the first 90 days i hate to say it because they're going to lean back on all their military experience it's probably the wrong thing it's you know take the time to teach them and i guarantee if you put six months into growing that bet they're going to be one of the best employees you have because team first loyal you know they will work long hours to get the job done because all that military team first effort is what they bring to the table and they're not they're definitely not self first um so i think it's it's critical that you know companies are doing and you know salute overwatch just a couple other ones out there that are, are making up their mission to do it i think it's it's you know i could be prouder to be you know welcome for those teams telling that i love hearing that story uh you know i i i, I just find it in, incredible some of the stories we hear about people in transition or, or active duty that just simply can't afford groceries due to lack of wages or what have you, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, and then the pigeonholing, you know, I, I've never really thought about that as much as you just described it, but it, it sure makes sense because you hear 
all these people, you know, talking about quotas and we want to hire this many military vets and what have you. But it really comes down to, uh, for me, after hearing how you explained it and how I think about what I heard, it, it comes down though to people again, you know, regardless of, of, of what color. And I feel this way about our industry when I'm recruiting for the industry. I don't care what color jersey you have on. Just, let's just help you get on the field. You know, you can't you can't participate in the workforce if you don't get an opportunity somewhere. So let's figure out the best way for a, a retiring vet, transitioning vet, or the kid coming out of high school. Let's figure out how to get them to the best spot they can to start with to showcase their talents. We can figure out the jersey color later. You know, they're going to, people are going to migrate to where they should be based on their talent, their desire, their God given abilities, I believe, because we're all looking essentially uh, to help. Well, but let me, let me rephrase that. Not all of us are looking. There are a number of us that are looking to help people rise uh, and, and to help people succeed. And if we do that, then we're going to get our fair share of great people. Compass is going to get their share of great people. But so are ABC Mechanical and so are Facebook, you know, because, you know, you've heard this in the Navy forever about the rising tide raises all ships. I totally believe that because I believe that we're doing good as an industry for me being mechanical, you being everything involved in infrastructure then we all we all benefit and i, I just I, I don't know i i know i'm not i don't pride myself on being a simpleton but this is a simple answer it will use common sense and compassion that's how i feel i agree and, and you know what the military branding say you can't plan a resume it's will and it's will will and trust and that is super hard to find sometimes uh, but you can't put that in a resume. It's not valued. And that's why I always ask at some of these conferences, you know, who's sponsoring the conference? Because I can guarantee if they're putting millions of dollars in it, they want some bang for the buck. And, you know, the quotas, I, the problems I have is if a person is hired as a janitor, it's the same fit quota number as a person who's hired as a software engineer. You know, it's not bringing people in. And, you know, it's, I think people lose sight of, you know, the military, you change jobs every two years. You're very, very good at being airdropped in a situation, picking it up and running with it. But they're never given the opportunity to do that because the resume doesn't say specifically that they did X, Y, or Z, but I can guarantee they could probably learn it real darn quick because that's what they've been doing their entire career and take it to the next level. You just have to understand that you're going to might have to hold their hand for three to four months, but after that, you're going to be... You know, you're going to be holding them back because they're really going to be doing a very, very good job. And I'm not trying to say anyone, you know, not everyone could do that, but I do think it's just that what you brought up with and what's drilled into you is that really that that will and that trust piece. And I think that's super hard to find sometimes. Well, the, the trust word comes up so often on this show because... Values and trust and humility and all of those all of those warm and touchy things that make us feel good make us feel good for a reason. It's because they're real. And when you're if you get to work with people and you find people that that you can trust and you do trust, 
you know, I always like to to think back on that book uh, by by Covey, uh, the second Covey with uh, M. R. Covey about it's called the speed of trust, and it's about you know how quickly do you get that warm and fuzzy that Tully I can trust Tully, you know he's he's got all the right stuff, or I can trust Gabby, she's proven it. And maybe it's got nothing to do with time, but it's got to do with activity and 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 time meet together so that you, you build that bond. And man, once you build that bond and as a true leader, get that crap, get your get you out of the way and let people run and help them and get over the and again, not being in the military, I can't see this, but um, or I can't speak to it firsthand, but don't let, let's not have command and control on every aspect of our life. Let's give people the ability to do the job that we're hiring them to do. But to your point, properly train them. You know, our our industry, my industry, the air conditioning industry, we have proven that we're complete buffoons so many times because we will take the best technician on the planet. And he's working with his tools in the truck on Friday. And Monday, we say, hey, you're the service manager. And he's like, uh, uh, what happened? Or she's like, what, what do you mean I'm the service manager? I, 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 was, I was doing a great job. Now you just gave me a job I know absolutely nothing about, no training. And then nine months later, they're ready to jump off the building. Your, your, your whole company screwed up because you lost your best technician, A, and now the the office is in turmoil because you got somebody in position that is ill-equipped uh, to run it. And so it's like, what are you doing? You know, let's let's take this in a graduated process and and allow this person to succeed, help them succeed. Um, and when companies do that, they do the hand holding as you described it. And I had this conversation last night, like. If you give people the tools and you train them on the tools, yes, you're going to have to hold their hand for this amount of time, whether that's a month, an hour, or a day, or a year. You're still going to recoup that in a multiple on the tail end because if you do it right from the get-go and they're the right fit for that task and they're the right fit for that job and all that other stuff, they're going to blow it up. If you train them well on the front end, you know, I honestly think a lot of the problems and I've kind of learned this, I guess, maybe more so coming to spin world, you know, it's, if people are failing, it's usually on you. It's your lack of communication. It's, you didn't set them up for success, but you know, the mark of a leader is, can you still do that when you're under pressure yourself? You know, if you're, if you are, your boss is looking at you saying you couldn't get it done. Can you still not can you still go back to your values and act like the way you do and it's super tough to do and i have not always done it the best but i've kind of learned that's why i like that you know kind of the compass culture where it's you know it's the no ego you expect to make mistakes and it's incrementalism and all this other stuff that you know it, it's so counterintuitive that you go slow to go fast but it's wish stuff i wish i would have learned but you know the mark of a true leader is not how they're leading when everything's hunky-dory it's how do they lead when they're under stress? And I have always been the best at that, but I, I really try to be more conscious of it now where it's, you know, it's you, if you make a mistake, that's going to be okay. And I think more companies need to understand that if you make failure 
And this is that you know, look at how problems the nuclear industry has had with people cheating, especially in the nuclear navy, when people's livelihood depend on their job and they have stress of taking exams every two weeks. And, you know, if they mess up the exam, that adds to their work week, which means they're away from their family, which means they're even farther behind. And you're wondering why people cheat at that stuff because, you know, it's, you've made it critical to their actual well-being to be successful. And I mean, that's why, to be honest, I'll sit there and say, that's why I think a majority of, you know, we still had problems with human error in data centers. And I really think it's because of that. We put people into impossible situations. Like we give you maintenance at the end of the day, you have to do that before you leave. You know, you, you have to get this done right now, or, you know, you, you won't be, you aren't going to be paid or anything like that. You put people in these situations where it's, they're having to choose between their own self and well-being in the company. And to be honest, they're most likely going to choose self most of the time. And that's because you put them in that position. We shouldn't be doing that at all. Yeah. Well said, you know, that it's a shame that we do that, um, as, as people, um, but back to what you said also, you know, the benefit of getting older and getting, I, I think, old wisdom, humility, all those things tend to multiply once you're able to say to that ego that you spoke of, sit down and be quiet. I've had enough of you. And, you know, 28-year-old guys are probably uh, the most egotistical specimen on the planet. Uh, I think back when I was 28 years old or 30 years old, you felt invincible, you're on top of your game technically, but you didn't have the scar tissue of life yet to understand all the things that we get to understand. And I'll be 59 years old soon. And, you know, that that wisdom that you get and, and the ability to slow down, to go fast as you should, but slow down, pause, make a better choice for the whole thing. It is just it's such a blessing uh, that you wish you could bestow it on people, but unfortunately, you that you just it's like an old frying pan. It just has to be seasoned. Uh, you can't rush the process, unfortunately. But you know, our job um, is to make sure that we're setting people up for that success. We're sharing these stories and these failures that we're okay admitting so that they don't have to repeat them you know that's that's the joy of it to me is saving people scar tissue by stopping them at it it you know bullet point number one is say i see where we're headed let's talk about other options before we get in the ditch you know and well i actually i will two things on that one i mean interrupt you greg but i actually have a different view of that now i think there's two things to get hit i think there's a ditch and a telephone I think smart people actually learn by getting the ditch. So if you can let people fail, they're not going to do it again. Because I can sit there and say, Greg, well, you shouldn't lick your finger and touch it in the socket. That's probably bad. But I can guarantee they're going to do it once. They're never going to do it again. But, you know, what you don't want to do is go in front of, you know, high voltage, you know, without an arc flash shoot. That's a, that's a fold because that's life-threatening. So I think we need to let people fail. That's the way smart people learn, but you cannot let them hit that telephone pole. You have to protect them from hitting that pole, but let them hit the ditch. And that's been tough for me to learn, to be perfectly honest. No, that's, that's fair. That's, that's a good analogy. Um, 
Yeah. I never, I never learned that properly. And, you know, until the last couple of years, uh, the, the ditch versus hole that there are two different things and smart people do learn by get the ditch, no matter how much you preach out, they're just not going to listen. I've got a lot of mud on my tires too, from being in it, <laughs> but I, I definitely appreciate that. Well, Gabby, you've been quiet. So what I want to hear your perspective on, on, uh, commander, uh, of a submarine talking and, and how some of what we've talked about kind of resonates with you because you, you always bring a good insight to your, your side of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree. I think, um, I mean, just based off of what Tony was just saying, I think there have definitely been times in my life where it was important for me to kind of fall in that ditch and be like, okay, well, that was not I was probably not the right the right thing to do. Maybe we need to take a step back and rework that, not do that again, and kind of stay away from that definition of insanity where you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And I think as far as it goes with being leaders um, or being a leader in general, it is really important to have that level of, you know, I guess, communicative respect with those who are under you, I guess is a good way to put it, um, where it's like, yeah, I'm the leader and like what I say goes for sure. But that doesn't mean that your opinion isn't valued at the end of the day. Um, I've worked not a lot of jobs, but quite a few. And um, I have been very fortunate with my bosses, especially when I worked for uh, Texas A&M while I was at school. One of my bosses at Texas A&M, her favorite thing to do was to sit all of us down as employees and say, hey, so here's the processes that we've been doing. Does anybody have any suggestions on how to change them? Because a lot of people don't necessarily realize that as a leader, you're not doing the daily nitty gritty things that your employees are doing. And so... A lot of times they have they bring insight to the table that like you wouldn't even consider because it's not it's not a daily thing that you do. And so for me, working at a 24 hour desk, it was my boss wasn't doing the daily processes that my coworkers and I were doing. We were sitting there filling out the Excel sheets and taking the phone calls and checking people into isolation rooms during covid and things like that. And so. For her, she really valued our opinion on, hey, like, if we could change the way that we're doing this, what would make it easier for you guys, considering the fact that you're the ones doing it? And so there were certain times where it was like, oh, you know, well, like, we do have to follow a certain protocol and that doesn't match it. So we're not going to do that. But then there were other things where we were like, hey, you know what? Like, why are we filling out six different documents with the same information when we could compact it into this one document and then everything is right where we need it when we need it and we don't have to take those extra steps and make extra work for everybody. And so I think that kind of that level of leadership is something that I have always had a lot of respect for in my bosses. Um, and like I said, I've been very fortunate. It doesn't always work out that way for people. But for me especially, it has been not only does it create a level of respect, um, but it also creates a level of almost um, like equality where it's like, 
I can go to you because I have a suggestion or I can go to you because I had an idea. But and maybe it's not like, you know, an idea that um, is plausible, but it's an idea that because of our communicative relationship, I am comfortable as a lower tier employee coming up to you and saying, hey, what about this? And then you are all of a sudden, everybody is looking at things from a different angle and from a different perspective. And that is kind of where I feel like I have seen in my short career, the most growth in the places that I've worked at. Well, I, I think that that's key for all of us. We all want to be heard regardless of where we sit on the food chain. And, you know, that the obviously this this boss of yours there was was dialed in to what works. And, you know, yes, we, we hear a lot of suggestions as leaders and you want to implement the ones that that seem feasible and the ones that help the organization overall and help people. Um so you got to run it through a filter, you know, like what what's the risk and reward? I mean, that's what it really comes down to. Uh, but having the open mind, as, as Tony was explaining earlier, you know, just have that mindset. And, yeah, we may or we may not be able to implement, but we're listening. And I think that's key for, for all of us to do, uh, whether it be at home or at work or at church, you know, like just keep those ears open. So, Gabby, I got to ask the question, though. I mean, are you okay? I mean, what if someone came to you and said, hey, I wish I was a superior long cord and not an Aggie? You know, with that, <laughs> it woke up. Right. So, we started with football, and here we're winding off, winding up with alumni pride. <laughs> I love it. Well, Tali, we are coming up on the top of the hour, and I I, I feel like we could talk for two more hours because your your insightful comments really have a lot. Uh, kind of got my wheel spinning on a couple of different topics, which I love because I got to get on a plane later, so that'll be a good time to think and make notes. But uh, really, do appreciate you taking time with us and and talking about you know not only your career but what's going on. In your current life and and just some of the the fun stuff you're doing but yet some of the serious work uh you know with i masons and uh helping veterans uh in in their careers and and finish their careers uh or restart maybe is a better way of saying it in the right right way so thank you for taking time with us really really appreciate it and enjoy the conversation oh thanks greg and, and thanks gabby for having me on it was a pleasure to talk to you both and if you ever want to rant also about nuclear power or, uh, you know, the edge and everything else, I'm happy to, to talk your ear off about those things, too. All right. Well, we'll mark it down for the next time, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Greg, and thank you, Tony. Um, it was a great conversation. I Like I said at the beginning, I always enjoy talking to the guests. I always enjoy talking to Greg. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple or Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to check out gregcrumpton.com for all of your Greg Crumpton content. Yeah.